Carol, you want to hear the good news first? I always love good news. I got all the daffodils planted. It took me all afternoon, but I got it done. That is wonderful. So what's the bad news? Squirrels dug them all up, then they're gone now? No, I don't ever have trouble with squirrels digging up daffodils. They dig up other stuff, but not usually daffodils. Nope. I accidentally dug 60 extra holes with the bulb auger because I got into some sandy soil uh-huh. and I had tons of bulbs and I just went zing, 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 zing. So I don't, you know what that means, don't you? That means you have to go back and get 60 more bulbs. And they have to be white because all of them are white. Oh, that's going to be a bit of a problem. <laughs> but let's move on to this week's episode, shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country, which are way too many. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly, but that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Good morning, Carol. How does your garden grow? Good morning, Dave. I want to go back to this daffodil thing. Now, the reason why <laughs> white daffodils is a problem is because when you walk into the store and say, got any extra bulbs, they're not going to be white. They're going to be yellow. Almost always, because any bulbs for naturalizing are almost always yellow, and they're always the King Alfred type, because you can't really find King Alfred anymore. So they've created other, because you know, they don't have it anymore, so they, ha- they have better versions of a bulb that is similar to King Alfred. But I don't want yellow. I have plenty of yellow, and the cool thing about gardening on a million acres is that if I come up with some crazy idea, I can just implement it as long as I have my pocketbook. That's and right. And you know what? The bad part is they sell out of white daffodils pretty fast, and I chose five different varieties. Okay? So let's let's back up a minute. Now, I've already solved the problem. How'd you solve it? I went on color blends, and they had avalanche, which was one of my five. It's a white with a lemon yellow center. And you know what? What? I bought 75 of them, and I'll put 10 somewhere else. Okay, because the other way to solve the problem would just be say, let's just leave these extra holes and never mind. You ask how wait, my garden wait, wait. grows. No, you couldn't. You couldn't do that. I couldn't do that because I had it all balanced, and I started on the right. I didn't start in the center oh. and work outward. So all of a sudden, it would have just stopped and looked bad. And oh. yeah, hindsight is very twenty twenty. But the good news is, I have seventy five bulbs on their way, and they're on sale. You know what? It's it's all going to work out. So uh, my garden That's update is very very dull compared to yours. Um. I did sneak out and I mowed the front yard one last time and picked up leaves, put them on the vegetable garden, which I feel like I have talked about that enough that maybe I did it two weeks ago. I don't know. But I did do it last this past week. And other than that, there is not much going on. I mean, it's wintertime here. It is here too. Except it's kind of, it's, you know, false fall right at the moment where we, like today, it's going to be 67, maybe even 70, which is crazy. <laughs> that is I mean, it crazy. Was just 40, it was like 37 and 44 just the other day. So I'm going to go out there this afternoon 
And I've already mixed up all my tulips and other sundry bulbs, including those crazy camassias I bought. And I'm going to plant those in the bed right outside this door, um, the kitchen door. And I put them all in a five-gallon bucket this time because I didn't buy as many as I usually do. And I'm going to try to plant them this afternoon with just my trowel because it's sandy. And I have other stuff in there, and I don't want to disturb it. Anyway, and I also bought a poinsettia. Does that count as gardening? It does. And I should say, I I went outside to dig some snowdrop bulbs. I marked the Mm -hmm. spot. I go outside, Mm -hmm. and there are two snowdrops blooming. Yeah, I saw that on your Instagram. I couldn't believe it. Or you sent me the picture. Maybe that should be our picture for this this week's It it could be. It was on Instagram. I went ahead and dug up some bulbs and planted them, and they look like they're growing in their little containers. So I did do that. So that is good. That's cute. I like it. Anyway, that's and I also bought a rug for my front door, you know, a mat outside. It has cardinals on it because I really like cardinals. So... You want to do the quote? You know what? I'm going to do a quote and get us started with our flower topic. Perfect. If then I were asked for the most important advice I could give, that which I considered to be the most useful to the men of our century, I should simply say, in the name of God, stop a moment, cease your work, and look around you. Leo Tolstoy. Tolstoy. And if I can just expound on that. Please While do. the weather is good. Let's all get out in the sunshine, because February's going to come, and it's going to be cloudy the whole month. You think? It usually is. <laughs> well, today... So tell us about our flower. Our flower today is one that you bought earlier. It's the And florist, I requested help. Yes, the florist cyclamen, which is cyclamen persicum, a species that is native to the Mediterranean. And you ask, how come yours always dies? Yeah, I usually kill them within a couple of weeks. I'm good at it. So the thing about these is they are gorgeous flowers. They are even more pretty leaves. They're heart-shaped, and they have all different bits of variegation. And so there's a natural desire to want to keep this thing growing forever and ever, like it's some kind of a houseplant. It's not. It's not. It is (laughs) Basically, it's a Mediterranean perennial. And it likes it on the cool side, so if you have a cooler room in the house, it likes it to be moist but not sopping wet, because if you look closely at it, there's a tuber sitting there on top that the foliage and everything is coming out of. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It likes to go dormant in the summertime. So the foliage dies and everything, and there is not one doggone thing you can do to keep it going. It's going to go dormant. Okay. And so then you can maybe you haven't people, killed it. Do some people just let it go dormant, keep it in a closet, and then let it come back out like you do with a poinsettia? Or yeah, you could you could let it go dormant or? in the summertime. The foliage falls off, and then I would just you would stop watering at that point. And then if you kind of let it go, and I would put it in sort of a cool spot somewhere in the house around September, you should start to see new growth appearing. At that point, you'd start to water it. I'd maybe give it a good bit of fertilizer and a lot of light. And this is where if someone had, say, a greenhouse, you could put it in your greenhouse. And with a little luck, you'd have those flowers again, Dee. 
In my world, the greenhouse is really hot in September, so that would not work here. Well, you could put it um, inside, and then I you could, could put it in the greenhouse window. later. I could, but you know what's going to happen to that plant? I'm going to enjoy its beautiful leaves and its beautiful little red blooms, and then I'm going to say bye-bye, and I'm going to throw it in the compost. You can do that, but I do want people to know that this plant is... It, it's going to go dormant. And so a lot of people, it's like, I just can't keep my cyclamen alive. Well, mm. that's because when it goes dormant, you think you've killed it and it's just gone dormant. Now, I have never tried to take one from dormancy out to back to growing. But I feel now a trip to the local garden center coming on because I know they'll have some beautiful cyclamen. I thought, I'm going to get some. And if I don't get some now, the other popular time they're sold is around Valentine's Day. Because of the beautiful yeah, the local flowers. the local nursery had uh, I sent you pictures. Actually, we could use my pictures of cyclamen if you want to. Yes, because I sent do that. you some really They're pretty ones. Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Not anything I did. It's no. the the nursery has really gorgeous ones. So there you go. And on we're going to link to the Cyclamen Society. Yep. And you also have some more info from North Carolina Extension. Yes. Good job. And so you can treat this plant like an annual, don't feel bad about it, or you can be super gardener and bring it back to life every year. It's up to you. Yeah, I, you know, I don't have to be a super gardener. It's okay. You are a super gardener, Dee. You are a super <laughs> gardener, whether you bring your cyclamen back from dormancy or not. Yeah, I just like being a gardener. You want me to do the next quote, or have we talked enough about cyclamen? I believe that we have exhausted cyclamen, other than I would tell you that some varieties go by the common name Persian violet. So they're like my second favorite plant. Yeah. Cool. The green matter of plants, we propose to give the name of chlorophyll. And that's by Pierre Joseph, it'd be Yosef, if I were doing it the other way, Pelletier. And so... It's for a vegetable this week. I learned about a new sauce, and the sauce is called chlorophyll. And this fits into our vegetable because this is how you do it. I had never ever heard of chlorophyll as a sauce. Have you? No, this is a new one to me. I'm looking at this and I'm like, ooh, there's a big fancy word here. I can't wait to see it in use. Okay, so it is, it comes out, the reason it's called chlorophyll is when you finish it, it comes out the exact color of chlorophyll in plants. Because you're basically reducing the plants that you use in it down to their very mushy essence. So here's how you do it. You take the leaves of parsley and you're going to need a bunch of parsley. And you want to use like the curly parsley. You could also use flat leaf, but you're only using the leaves. You are not using any of the stems. Okay. Then you take spinach or some other pretty stout green that is green And you take all the stems out of it too, and then you're going to have boiling salted water. Okay, you blanch it until it is the brightest, brightest green. And you're going to boil it really, really hard because you want to blanch it quickly so it doesn't turn that gray green that stuff sometimes turns after it's been cooked a while. You want bright green. And the salt helps it and also the quick blanching. And then you can take... um, After you've boiled it super fast, and when it's bright green and kind of mushy, slimy looking, then you immerse it in ice water and shock it so it stays bright green. And then you take those that mushy, leafy stuff, and you put it in the blender. And you want a nice thick puree. So you can add some of your hot, hot water to it, but 
um, you, should, you want it to be nice and thick. So what people do with this after they're done with it, it is the most exquisite green, the greenest of the greens. And then you can add it to butter or a cream sauce, or you can just use it on the plate. And I got this from La Pichun, um, or the, as they affectionately call it, La Piche. And I went through the video this morning. It took me forever, but I found exactly where they start making it. So if you have Discovery Plus or you want to subscribe for, I think it's $4.99 a month, and no, we don't get anything from Discovery Plus. But it is really fun to see Julia Child's kitchen. The moment that they make it is at seventeen seventeen. We'll include that. a link. I you did not use this big fancy word you put in the show notes. Emulsorate. Oh, emulsorate. Yeah, that just means to make it mush. I I've never I've never used that word. Uh, it's like to have a vocabulary word for the day. I'm going to emulsorate some spinach and parsley. Yeah, there's emulsorate and emulsify, but emul- but I've, you know, sometimes with dressings, you do that with like mustard dressings, it's where you incorporate everything together. So That's D, basically what it means. are yes. you going to make some chlorophyll sauce? You know, not this week, I'm not. How about next week? But it'd be fun to do it in butter, wouldn't it? Um. Well, yeah, you could add it to butter and make like a thick, buttery, green smooth- butter. Butter to put on, like, toast or something? Maybe I'll do it for St. Patrick's Day. That's a long way off. Don't make commitments that far off, Dee. I am not going to make... I said the big maybe. Okay, maybe. as long as you said maybe. Okay, okay, so that's all I know about chlorophyll sauce, and I just thought it was fascinating, and I wanted to share it with everybody. You can also use dandelion greens, and it, it has to be a green that is really got sturdy stems. Sturdy midribs. No, sturdy, well, sturdy leaves, really, because you don't want to use midribs, midribs at all. But you're right, the word is midrib. Okay. Okay, but you don't use those. You get those away. Okay, so if one of our listeners makes chlorophyll sauce, we expect a full report. I would love to hear about it. It looked really good, and people tasted it, and they said it was wonderful. And the reason they made it was because they were recreating a dinner that Simone made for Julia and Paul way back when, and she made emulsified lettuce, which sounds nasty. And um, they said, we don't want to make emulsified lettuce, so we're going to modernize it and make chlorophyll sauce. It's a fascinating show. If you like to cook it all or like gardening or any of that kind of stuff. Okay. Want to do the next quote? I do. That's the thing about books. They let you travel without moving your feet. Jumpa Lahiri. I said that wrong. I have no idea how to pronounce that person's name. I don't either, but we'll just go with that. So you've got the book on the bookshelf this week. Today I have a book. This is written by a friend of mine from Garden Club, Tess Park. It's Common Spring Woodland Wildflowers in the Midwest, a Pocket Guide. And Tess, I'm very proud of her, but she and her husband go hiking in the woods all through the spring. And she is taking pictures And she has put them into a little handbook, and they're kind of in the order that they bloom. But this is perfect. See, I'm holding it up. See how pocket size that is? Yeah, it'd be great to stick in your pocket or in your backpack if you were out tromping through the woods. Yes, and then you would find a flower, and kind of you sort of go by based on where it um, is blooming. She'll show you pictures, and you can easily find most of the things that you're looking for in this book. And she's got pictures of all of them. 
She describes them all, uh, not in a heavy botanical sense, in her former life. She was actually a veterinarian. Um, hmm. So, but she loves the wildflowers and she has taken so many pictures. She's worked on this book for years to get it just right and just the right size and double and tripling checking all her facts and making sure that every picture was exactly right. And I think she's done a marvelous job. And I think this would make a great Christmas stocking stuffer for anybody in the Midwest who likes to hike or find wildflowers. Um, it literally, I, I, I took it to Garden Club uh, last month. I actually had it in my back pocket and was kind of merchandising it for her. So you see, it fits in your mm-hmm. back pocket. I think everybody in the club has bought a copy. Anyway, it's called... So I have a, can I ask a question? Yes. What does she divine as the Midwest? So if and the reason, to, there's yeah. a good reason I'm asking this. Do you want me to explain? Yes, because... Okay, so many maps include Oklahoma in the Midwest, and many maps include Oklahoma in the South, and many maps say we're South Central. Um, so we get... Because we are, are, we are really in the center of the U.S., I think I would say that maybe the northern part could be considered Midwest, and the southern part is more like Texas, but it's complicated. I would say this is Indiana, obviously, Ohio, right. Kentucky, Illinois, Michigan, up into southern Wisconsin, uh, over into Pennsylvania, definitely over into Pennsylvania. Um, what about Missouri? Probably some areas of Missouri because of the woods mm-hmm. and stuff. And so there were right. probably some flowers in here. But you don't, I don't think this is really geared towards central Oklahoma. Yeah, and it wouldn't work for Oklahoma except for, now that I think about it, on the northeastern section. Because I-35 demar- is the demarcation line for our woods. But we do have woods. And so that that particular plant on the front of that book, which is the... Bluebell, right? Virginia yep. bluebells. Virginia bluebells. People grow them here up by Tulsa. So, so interesting. Here. It is. There are 74 plants in here, and it's a common spring woodland wildflowers in the Midwest, a pocket guide by Tess Park. We will put a link to it. I believe it is only available on Amazon right now. So mm-hmm. It's that's a cute book. book. It's very cute. It's going in a stocking, a couple of stockings of my great nieces and nephews, the ones that are a little bit older. And have an interest in wildflowers, and their parents can help them with it. It's going in their stocking. Neato. You're Ready for the next quote? You bet. And the needles of the pine trees, freshly washed to a deep, rich green, shimmered with droplets that blinked like clear crystals. And that's by Billy Letts, who wrote the book Shoot the Moon. And do you know who Billy Letts is? I have no clue, Dee. I have no clue. Well, I have some info for you, because I knew her. Um, Billy Letts was a writer from Oklahoma, and she had three uh, very popular books. And she started writing when she was in her, I think, in her 50s. And she actually got published and did really well, and she she did eventually die. But um, her books were good. One of them was made into a movie, but I would have to look that one up. Shoot the Moon, I think, was number two. Anyway, I just found this by accident because I was looking for quotes about pine trees. Yes, because we found an article. Actually, I found this uh, a couple of months ago. The impactful scent of a real Christmas tree. And somebody did a survey and found out that four out of five respondents, 81% of people agreed that real Christmas trees smell like Christmas itself. 
Yep, I would say so. And that 48% of those who bought a real tree last year did so because of the scent. Mm, again, yep, I would say so. That's, I mean, that's why I would, that's why I would buy one. Although I can't do them, and we've talked about this before. I have asthma, mm-hmm. and for some reason, I'm really, really allergic to um, the mold on Christmas trees. <laughs> so I have to do one that is, uh, you know, is fake and unscented. But I always buy a candle, and we're going to link to the candle from this year. That's on down. But tell them about the other scents. So they did the survey, and so respondents said a real Christmas tree was their favorite scent of the season. That was 56%. Putting Mm -hmm. it just ahead of the smell of cookies at 50%. Cinnamon at 50%. And you know when they've got those cinnamon-scented pine cones when you walk into the grocery store and they're sitting right there. Yeah, the minute. Yeah, Trader Joe's always has them. Hot cocoa at 45%. Gingerbread, like 43%. Love that scent. Peppermint came in at 42%, followed by an I open like fire, peppermint. 37%. And roasted chestnuts at 16%. And I thought to myself, I do not know what a roasted chestnut smells like. And you asked if I do know. And do you know, D? I do. I do know the smell of roasted chestnuts. Um It is not my favorite scent ever. I mean, I've smelled it several times. So the first time I smelled it was in New York City when I was 17, when I went to visit. And I thought, what is that smell? And then last year, we went to Portugal. And we were there on just coincidentally on November 11th, which was St. Martin's Day. And they were roasting them all over the city. And I didn't eat any that day because we were on a really busy hike. So I didn't get to get any. But I've had them before, and I'll be honest, I don't really like them. They taste mushy, and they smell a little bit burned because they roast them over an open fire in right. these big pans. Um, but you know what? I think it's a neat idea, and I actually, you may not put it in our newsletter, but you might. Uh, November 11th being St. Martin's Day, and it talks all about them roasting them in Portugal. Cool. And you yeah. have a candle for us if we yes, don't have a candle. real tree. So there's a lot of really good scented candles that have the scent of the tree, but my favorite one right now is from Patty Wax, and it's called Cypress and Fur, and we have a link to the to Amazon. So it's an affiliate link. Anyway, I bought one, and it is fabulous. That is good because I tell you, there are some, and you think, ooh, this smells pretty good in the store, and you get it home, it's like, this is nasty. No, this is the perfect scent, and it's the perfect level of scent, not too much. Just smells like you have a tree. And I don't even have my tree up, but I do have it burning right behind me, and it's in a really pretty little container. You can see it. I see it. It's very beautiful. Very beautiful. All right. So, want to do the next quote? I do. In every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks. John Muir. That's true. So, rabbit holes. Um, I had a whole bunch of weird little rabbit holes this week. I was trying to find the recipe for chlorophyll, so I ended up watching that episode again and skipping around trying to find it. I also had to get more white bulbs, so that took a while, but I went on color blends and they had avalanche, thank goodness. And I also had to hunt down a poinsettia. And so I've noticed that there aren't as many available this year, especially in the weird colors or like the one that's double that looks like a rose. You just really can't find them. And um, I might have to go to Norman 
to the greenhouse, which is a local nursery in Norman, to find something really exotic. But I ran to Under the Sun, and she had one that I kind of dig, and I, I actually copied the picture under her notes so you can see it. It's called Premium Picasso, and but she only had it in small, you know, small plants. Uh-huh. And I ended up buying a dark red because that was the only one that was big. And I also went to Carol's and Crumpets in Tulsa. I was busy last weekend. And um, we could link to that, too. It, it came back to the Tulsa Garden Center this year. You know, it was they couldn't do it because of COVID. Uh-huh. And they were able to do it this year. And it is a fabulous little show. I was amazed. One of my friends, I'm just going to... I'm going to set hard on her for a minute. Beth Teal, she's an avid listener of our podcast, and she makes these topiaries and hypertufa containers and little lambs, little concrete lambs that are made from old chocolate molds. Uh-huh. They're fabulous. And so I bought some of those, and I bought, well, I bought several things. And then, um, anyway, Beth tells everybody about our podcast. We probably have all the listeners in Tulsa because of Beth and Teresa. Well, that is very nice of them. You sound very busy. My rabbit hole, I was all from my my house here. I didn't go anywhere. But I listened to a new biography of Agatha Christie written by Lucy Worsley. It's called Agatha Christie, A Very Elusive Woman. And Lucy Worsley does so many historical documentaries over on the BBC and so she wrote Oh, I love her. She wrote a fascinating biography. And it's you can watch, um, well, I listened to the entire biography on as an audio book, and then I bought the Kindle so I could read it. But it was just very fascinating. I feel like she uncovered history that's just a little bit different than the usual history. Um, mm-hmm. And she has a documentary that's going to come out, I think, on PBS, probably next, this after the new year. I don't know exactly when. But Agatha Christie, what a lie. Can you imagine... Uh, the stuff that she did. I mean, she worked as a chemist, as a pharmacy. She was a spy, too. She, Yeah, she was a bit of a spy. She, Can you imagine she had a beautiful country home called Greenway? And during World mm-hmm. War II, they just kind of came and said, we're going to need your house to house some U.S. soldiers, so you're going to have to move out. Uh, okay. They did that to a lot of people. They did. Because it's a, it is a very small island, and... There's only so much room, and those big pastoral areas, they could turn them into ways to grow crops because they, you know, the Germans had them blockaded. And then on other people, they were like, oh, you're now a hospital. Exactly. Oh, you can house orphans now. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was really hard in England during World War II. And Agatha Christie, I don't think she ever recognized great wealth from all her writing as as. You know, many books that's that she sad. wrote. Uh, she was under the cloud of the U.S. government for the longest time because the U.S. government said that she owed taxes on book sales in the United States for, oh. like, decades, just going back and forth. And, you know, her first book contract was a bummer. She didn't have anybody look at it, and they took her to the cleaners. And so there wasn't all—it wasn't all happiness in her life. But, you know, she—just a fascinating but. woman. Her second husband was an archaeologist. Yes. And they had a good time together. Her first husband was a bit of a cad. So that's, and does she talk about her disappearance in it? Oh, yes. There's a, oh, yes. Because I Mm -hmm. believe it was Saturday or 
sometime recently it was the anniversary of her disappearing for two weeks mm-hmm. and you know the manhunt and the dog sniffing out and trying to figure out where she was and and her and they people thought her husband killed her yes and then people thought that she did it on purpose and then some people said well no she had some form of amnesia brought on by the fact that her mother who she was extremely close to had just died and then her husband mm-hmm. and you know was having an affair with somebody some woman and so nobody yeah. really knows, and they don't nobody really knows. have notes. She didn't really leave, like, notes to say, okay, here's what really happened. So <laughs> Good for her. You know what? There should be a little mystery in your life, especially if you're a mystery writer. Yes. And then, of course, I watched a couple of documentaries on Amazon Prime about her, and, and her. I think it's her great-grandson is now responsible for the estate and all the the rights and all those things around her books, but... He said, you know, he still hopes that someday, you know, they'll run across some notebook or something that was hidden and it's got the answers to all the questions, but they won't. They probably won't. So what are you going to, we should talk about our garden commissions. And by the way, while you were talking, I went on Audible and bought that book because I always have, you know, I always have credits. And I thought, ooh, I'll listen to that while I'm out planting bulbs in the garden. You will love it. So I need to start (laughs) some more microgreens. I've kind of harvested everything that I've got so and then I, I wrote an article for Family Handyman about growing amaryllis, and I thought, I, I need to buy some new amaryllis. <laughs> so I thought, well, maybe I'm not I'll- sure we ever. I'm not sure we ever make any money from these articles. By the time you research something, then you're like, oh, I need some more of those. It happened to me every time. Yes. And then my, my, my uh, niece did send me a text because I'm like, I need to know what people want for Christmas. My little great nieces and great nephews, that's really who oh. I buy for now. And so my nine-year-old great niece, they've, they've remodeled their house. I mean, they've actually been out of it for almost a year. They're getting ready to wow. move back in or maybe they just moved back in. But her ni- my nine-year-old great niece would like a houseplant for her room. And oh, so I love it. She sent, she sent me the list and then she says, by the way, she wants a houseplant knowing that Aunt Carol is going to go and buy a beautiful houseplant. The best houseplant ever. And so yeah. I got to figure out, and I thought, well, I need to know, do they want it on the floor? Is it going to be sitting on a little table? You know, because I, mm-hmm. I could get this thing out of control pretty fast. So that, I'm on the hunt. That's, that's my commission. I think you need to get her that book about houseplants, too, that our friend wrote. We have many friends who wrote books on houseplants. <laughs> That's true. We she's, do. She's nine. I think we'll start with a plant. Let's not just like dump all of the horticulture okay, on her. Okay, we don't want to scare her. We don't scare her <laughs> What are you doing this week other than finishing planting bulbs and buying more bulbs? And if you dig more holes, and never mind. No, no. I'm not digging any more daffodil holes. Literally, I'm going to go out there, plunk those suckers in, and cover them up with dirt and go on with my life out there. Um but I am leaving the holes open until they get here. They should get here pretty fast. I am going to plant my tulip bulbs and all those others, and that's that's it. That's all I'm going to agree to this week. I thought you were going to start some microgreens. Okay, I might start these microgreens that have been sitting here. I might. Yeah. I was at Sam's Club this morning, and I've, I thought I, sh- I, should, I should walk away, and I did. They had arrow gardens on sale. You know those. Oh my gosh, no. I know. I was like, walk away. Walk away. You do not need an arrow garden. I do not need one. I would, I'd like to try it, but I don't need one. <laughs> well, let's wrap this up. Okay. We're going to, 
All right. Let's just wrap this up before I go back to Sam's Club. Thank you for listening to Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 midnight Eastern time. Yeah. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share your po- our podcast with your friends? They don't have to be gardening friends. Words of mouth, word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com, because it's free, and if you subscribe, you get the podcast early. That is true. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.